0: Welcome to The Complete Angler, your source of information on the outdoor industry in Central Canada. With over 35 years in the field, host Don Lamont covers topics and issues with industry leaders and influencers to bring you up to speed on what's happening in the outdoor world. And now, here's your host, Don Lamont.
1: On this episode, we visit with Saskatchewan principal and outdoorsman Mike Sweppen. Mike grew up on a grain farm in central Saskatchewan and ended up in the army for 15 years. During that time, he got a university degree and ended up becoming a teacher. His passion for the outdoors and for sharing knowledge led him to creating outdoor content. A desire to chronicle his goal to catch each species of sport fish in Saskatchewan naturally lent itself to sharing the techniques to other anglers. From this, Mike started the YouTube channel, 28 fish. Hey, Mike. Thanks for coming on the Complete Angler Podcast. Great to
0: have you. Absolutely, Don. I appreciate you having me.
1: Yeah, we uh, we ran into each other, I guess it was three years ago now, at the uh, Yorkton Outdoor Show.
0: Yeah. Came in,
1: introduced yourself. I think your son was with you,
0: wasn't he? He was, yeah. One of my two sons. And uh, yeah, we came up and lo and behold, there was a Hooked Magazine booth and uh, sure appreciated the magazine and the work that you've done with your tv show and uh i thought you know what i'd kind of like to ask about freelance writing and uh i have a bit of a writing background and a passion for the outdoors and it it took me on and i guess it kind of went from there and i've been writing for hooked for about two years now so i I do appreciate that opportunity
1: yeah we were uh we were in desperate need of writers from saskatchewan so it was a natural fit and uh by the way you've been doing a great job we really appreciate it at hooked
0: excellent i i'm glad to uh Glad to provide, Don. <laughs>
1: yeah, and we got the winter issue just at the printer right now, and uh, you got a great article about Capel Valley perch. Uh, I can yeah. remember doing a TV show back a long time ago, I would say probably 1991, on one of the lakes there, and and it was certainly great back then as well.
0: Yeah, I know it's, uh, it's definitely a, a great fishery and uh, kind of overlooked a lot of times, I think just because of the issues that happen in the summer, you know, we get a lot of algae blooms and such, and... Uh, wintertime is just pristine, clear, clear water, deep water. Uh, you know, there's that current that comes through, so you get new fish moving through the system, and uh, yeah, there's just all sorts of all sorts of great opportunities all along the Coppel system.
1: Well, you've done a lot of things in your life, but what are you currently doing, Mike?
0: <laughs> well, I uh, for work, I'm a principal of Melbourne Comprehensive School and uh, educator by trade. And yeah, I just, I need to be a, a candlestick maker. And I think I got all three covered there, but uh, <laughs> we, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. And uh, your passion for the outdoors and education. Now you started something um, that's very close to my heart, youth angling in schools. Tell us a little bit about
0: that program. Yeah, absolutely. The angling in the schools program is, is uh, something that I saw there's a bit of a need uh, in that there isn't really anything formal to help teachers feel confident in delivering angling and, uh, Uh, fisheries management type uh, instruction although there is bits and pieces of curriculum all across different uh, courses that that ask for that so we thought you know that that there's a there's a niche there and we wanted to to get an opportunity to bring the educators in on uh, teaching students to to fish and we uh, also want to make sure that students have the opportunity to approach uh, angling in a a way that uh, they may not have a lot of a lot of kids don't have parents at that angle and uh, they certainly certainly deserve to have that opportunity. Uh, we also wanted to with the program build, uh, some capacity within the schools cause you can't just outfit, you know, 30 kids all overnight type thing. So we're building up a, a library of rods and reels and so forth. And, uh, we've developed some curriculum to uh, teach folks, uh, in kind of stepwise manner, how to, how to deliver a program like that. And we uh, look forward to sort of networking, uh, you know, tournament and competitions for the students and, uh, we're hoping that uh, over the years it'll it'll grow into something incredible.
1: Well, they certainly have that in the US. I mean, their their high school and college tournament program is, is unbelievable.
0: Absolutely. You know, and and I think um just like uh, anything if we have an opportunity to start people young on something that uh, we can be just as competitive on the world on the world stage
1: speaking of young uh, when did did you grow up in the outdoors how did you how did you get this passion for hunting and fishing
0: yeah you know absolutely don I, I grew up on a, a small grain farm uh, in uh, in not too far from where i'm at now and uh, just being in the parkland there there was just something about something about the land and connecting connecting to it i remember my grandfather who was really a uh, uh, as the son of a settler, uh, he, you know, he knew, he knew of the land. He kind of passed down some of that knowledge to me, like this berries for a horse when it's sick and this plant you can use for that. And where he got that knowledge from, I don't necessarily know other than just being part of it. And, you know, he really got a sense of uh, a sense of the place. And I think that was the teaching that took me uh, the, the, the best that like he passed away when I was younger, but uh, we had that opportunity to learn from him, just knowing that place. If you pay attention, you can know that land. So then that, you know, grew into a real appreciation for where, I, where I'm from and when I travel to other places, what what's, you know, available in those areas. Um, so, you know, things like in the last few years, my wife and I have been fortunate enough to be up almost in the Northwest Territories, northern Saskatchewan, being in like the Athabasca Sand Basin and just the the beauty of that place and the diff- different topography and whatnot or even something like uh, fishing freshwater drum in Manitoba, you know. Is absolutely enthralled with uh with that fish in, in the place that you can catch them, uh you know where I'm come from you can't ha- you can't have those fish because they don't have what they need to live in that place. So I think that connection is uh, really deep for me and always has been. I grew up with uh, my dad who was you know a hunter. Uh, that was his hobby. I would say that would make, made him pleased. you know to take off the stresses of farming and so forth, and that became uh, almost a necessity piece where it became for providing food. Uh, then, you know, that kind of led him into tinkering around and making sausage and actually lo and behold, that became a very successful career for him. In about 1997, he sold our grain farm and put a down payment on an abattoir, a slaughterhouse and uh, hasn't looked back since. He's doing very well there. As far as the fishing goes, same thing. My dad, I think it kind of, you know, just thinking back on it, he started with hunting with his friends. I remember that anticipation of him coming back from a moose hunt to see if if they, if they got anything. Uh, that kind of blossomed into fishing. And uh, I, I remember my dad kind of getting into the sport. Uh, I can remember my probably very first fish, catching it on uh, a fishing lake, just going out in dad's old Ford, driving down the ice. He said, tell, Mike, tell me to stop when there's a fish. And we did. And sure enough, I caught a pike right there on a, mm-hmm. a broom handle <laughs> fishing rod, right? And then, uh, yeah, from there, I guess, like he he kind of, the more that we fished, the more he got interested in that definitely landed me into a place where i really enjoy that uh i would say too like um growing up watching fishing shows on tv you know it, it it's the same how people watch social media to watch others catch fish like it's a you're kind of vicariously part of it you know and uh that's actually not that we met then but that was the first time i met you i suppose is watching watching your show back in the late 80s and early 90s on saturday mornings and uh i wouldn't really say that i was like darn i wish i was that guy but it would be more like darn i wish i knew as much as he does about fishing. I'm still <laughs> trying, by the way, Don. <laughs> but uh, I really, really appreciated that wide open aspect of of uh, getting into fishing and hunting. And uh, and just, you know, the more that you do it, the more incredible things you learn and see. Um, I've seen some magical things in, in our adventures and uh, uh, not many people get that if you're just sitting on your couch. So I think that's what keeps me going.
1: Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, COVID actually kind of, got a few more people understanding that they're tired of sitting at home. And there is that wide world out there, the outdoor world. that's pretty special. I, mm-hmm. I must mention that. Uh, I wonder if you ever saw the show I did from fishing Lake.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I, I remember watching your show and thinking, um man I, why doesn't that why can't you fish a lake that i fish and i watched and watched, and i think one time i remember uh it might have been nassissippia that's what we call it here i think lake of the prairies is yeah right manitoba is called and i thought oh wow he's somewhere that we fish and yeah i wish if i had i would have been you know over the moon dawn <laughs> have to yeah yeah we uh, actually
1: it. it was it was quite funny i got all my friends together and it, it it you know i i worked for two years in prince albert and it was kind of a halfway place from PA, Fishing Lakes, and Winnipeg, right? Because I was back in Winnipeg. And so we met at Fishing Lakes. We stayed, and we actually caught a lot of walleye there. It was a, it was pretty pretty good fishing, I must admit. So it was a lot of fun. And yeah, yeah Lake of the a- Prairies has been one of my favorite lakes for an absolute long time. And uh, I've had some great trips over the years, and especially this year, we caught a couple really large walleye. You don't think a Lake of the Prairies is having big walleye? Well, we caught one that was... 28 and a half and one was almost 31 inches in fat. I would say it was probably <laughs> at least 11 pounds, maybe 12. So some good fish. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah. You know, and uh, fishing lake still is, uh, it's, a, it's an incredible fishery. They they kind of put a catch and release on that lake and that really helped. And then with uh, real high water years, uh, for some reason, the change of topography with having a, a, a pretty substantial rock uh uh, berm built around the lake. Uh, it ended up in a res- result of a lot of freshwater shrimp bloom, and uh, the walleye are fat plumped and very, very plentiful. So, yeah, it's, it's a great close to home fishery, and I, I sure appreciate having access to that. It's kind of our camping, stomping grounds, if you will. That's where I kind of grew up taking swimming lessons in the freezing cold water of June and so forth.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful rolling country around there, too. Yeah, yeah, beautiful country. So, uh, so, obviously, um, you're watching all this stuff, and uh, you sort of got into the Facebook and YouTube adventures. Tell us about that.
0: Yeah. Well, that kind of all started with uh, my good friend, Richie Casement. Who's, he works in the outdoor uh, hunting industry. He's uh, he, he films and edits uh, videos for, right now, Cody Robbins and Kelsey Robbins on, on Live the Hunt. And he worked for Jason Peterson before that. But uh yeah, Richie and I are old army buddies and uh, we also we share the passion for outdoors and we were reminiscing once about the angling guide to Saskatchewan and all these beautiful fish that we saw and there's different species that we had never ever saw and just thought, wow, you know, if you could even catch one, wouldn't that be amazing? And these things like bullhead and carp and <laughs> sturgeon and things like this. Uh, so we kind of we kind of said, you know what, why don't we set up a, a bit of a challenge, kind of a, a friendly competition where We'll try to, we'll call it a fish slam. So even species, fantastic. And then Richie being his creative self came up with uh, the Saskatchewan fish slam, 28 species, what the Facebook page is called. It's made it a private group, but it's very easy to join. And uh, boy, it, it blossomed. We had, you talk about, you know, people finding outdoors during COVID because it was kind of during those years that it really, really boomed. Well, we had people joining and joining and joining. And that was really based on, uh, you know, ethical angling, catch and release as, as much as you need, or, or uh, sustainable harvesting, the idea of sharing places, sharing information about different species, and that camaraderie of that competition of you know trying to catch these species. And then so I had asked her, she had, after a couple of years, I said, would you if I was a, a co-administrator on the page? And she said, absolutely. So. There's actually four of us and, uh, we, we were at a number of tournaments, uh, online tournaments, multi-species, and, uh, we're able to gather up some different prizes and and so forth. And, uh, we actually had uh, a couple of the tournaments or uh, we had sort of a, um, prize, uh, sort of, uh, gathering. We did it, did it virtually and, uh, it went over real well. So, uh, it still grows. We, it's like, it seems like every day we're getting people asking to add onto the, the page and, uh. It sure is sure has helped. And then in the YouTube world, uh, well, as I kind of was working through my fish slam, I guess, I thought, you know what? Um, I'm a researcher and I'm looking and look, and look for information specific to Saskatchewan on all these species, and it's just not out there. So you kind of have to adapt what you get. I thought, well, why don't I start a YouTube channel? When I was a kid, I really liked video video editing and uh, messing around with camcorders and stuff. So got this handy dandy iPhone. Let's see what, what a guy can come up with. So it was a pretty modest start, but um, over the years we've uh, amassed about sixty-six videos. We try to cover as many species as possible, and uh, actually, interestingly, because um, I think everybody and their dog is a fishing expert on YouTube, so uh, my my fishing videos generally don't get as much watch as the uh, DIY and the and the tinkering videos. The kind of I call them fish and fixing videos. So we've we've had a few videos that. You know, modestly got, you know, I don't know, 21, 22,000 views um, and, and the channel slowly grows. And that's that's what I want. I'm not looking to make it uh, a, a big thing. I just really enjoy sharing that information and helping folks out everything from how do you fix your big buddy heater when the when the ceramic breaks, because nobody had a video on that. So I did that to uh, how do you make an underwater camera to install on a futon in your Flip over shack, or how do you fill it a bluegill for guys in Saskatchewan? Who've never seen such a fish before. <laughs> it's yeah, it's it's fun. I really enjoy it. And I'm kind of over and flip to the content, but I, I what I find is you get a quite a variety of folks that that join up and uh and, and enjoy the videos. And yeah, it's uh it's a pleasure to do.
1: Yeah, all that information will be uh we have it in the magazine and we'll have it in. And the information in your podcast so it'll be there so you can they can find you Mike so that's for sure you also mentioned your military career how did how did you get into that
0: yeah well I appreciate you asking that so uh growing up in uh Kelleher little little prairie town Saskatchewan uh you know you kind of grew up watching Legion members you know at at Remembrance Day and so forth and uh, it was just kind of Kind of occurred to me. It was just something that you kind of did when it was needed, you know. And um, my grandfather served in the Second World War as a bombardier in a Handley Page Halifax, uh, and uh, unfortunately, they were actually shot down in 1944. So it was quite a, quite a story, right? And uh, uh, you know, he kind of grew up maybe a little bit uh, romanticizing that, somewhat. and I don't think till I was older I fully understood comprehended sort of that impact of uh, of such a thing on on a person, but. Uh, I suddenly kind of was always in the back of my mind that I'd love to be part of the military and in some ways give back to the, the sacrifice and service of all those that come before me. And I think, um, I, think I was drawn to to it uh, because of the outdoor element, I would say, for sure. Um, you know, in my time in the Army, uh, definitely, I mean, it seems cliche, but it's absolutely uh, essential to it is there's, there's a brotherhood there that you, you don't get really anywhere else. Develop some essential skills, and uh, you know, map reading over uh, bushcraft, all that kind of stuff, and uh, um, definitely uh, a little bit of recognition too. I was lucky enough to receive the Queen Elizabeth Diamond Jubilee Medal. Um, I, I was uh, ranked one of the top master bombardier, which is a an artillery rank. It's equivalent to a master corporal in our in our sort of western area, and I also received the Canadian Forces Decoration, which is uh, for for get you get your first medal at 12 12 years of service and uh if you're if you keep at it every 10 years you get a bar on that And they like to call it the uh, medal for uh 12 years of undetected crime <laughs> so <laughs> it's kind of funny that way but yeah i just um i think um with the army too like it really pushes you to, and that's what kept me going is uh and we had a saying welcome to the suck <laughs> in the army because it's sort of like you're, you're sharing the hardship together and uh I think there's a certain satisfaction in suffering. And I think that's partially what guys like about outdoors, you know, when you're sitting in a deer stand when it's minus 20 or you're on the shore of, uh, of some river catching sturgeon at two 30 in the morning, you got to get up for work in a few hours. Like there's just something that adds to that, uh, satisfaction of the, of the job when there's a little bit of cost there too, you know? So yeah, in the army, I did, I did, uh, quite a bit. I was in the reserve artillery, so the reserve force of the Canadian Armed Forces is uh, part-time soldiers. Although there is full-time opportunity for work, we we're basically there to augment the uh, the regular force and and to uh, serve on any domestic ops. So if there's you know sandbagging that needs to be done, firefighting that needs to be done, that kind of thing. So in, in that regard, one of the one of the pieces that I did was uh, something called the Arctic Response Group, which was uh, it was a a mandate of uh, Western Canadian uh, Combat Arms to set up a uh, basically a battalion of people that if there was something that happened in the Arctic, like a plane crash or, uh, or what have you, that we could, we could be deployed quickly and, and function in that environment of the tundra. Um, I was also very lucky to, uh, to serve as a, uh, a member of the 70th anniversary of the Dieppe raid in, uh, in Dieppe, France. Um, And uh, yeah, if you, if you search up a picture from that, from, I think it was 2012, and you zoom into the uh, cenotaph real, real close. You'll see the back of my head because that's where I ended up, ended wow. up being uh, in that one. And uh, yeah, just uh, lots of different opportunities. Um, organized a European tour for for our unit to kind of do a little bit of work around the, uh, you know, history of the of the artillery and so forth. And I uh, was actually supposed to be deployed to Afghanistan in two thousand and eight. I was in university at Tim, and our, uh, our deployment date for the pre-training was supposed to be uh, May 1st, and we finished my university year, and uh, in about March 15th, we got a call from the, the oncoming uh, regular force unit, and they said, well, we have to go to Wainwright, Alberta, to do some training in the middle of April. And uh, I couldn't, I couldn't leave at that time because of final exams and the university had actually told me the amount of timing was two years block that I had taken off to, to deploy uh, would have been um the, the, because of, I guess, seats and programs or whatever. I don't really understand the whole dynamic of it. They said I really couldn't take any additional time. So I was put into a. A difficult situation to to make a decision and, uh they kind of made it for me They said well if you can't come now you're not going so so I stayed back lots of my peers went and uh, to be honest I you know I feel a little bit of shame and regret for not not deploying I mean that's what I trained for and everything else but I think um my wife certainly is appreciative that I didn't and now that I have two boys they ask me often about being in the army and they said well dad did you have to go to war did you go to a war and and I'll tell them you know I I did volunteer to go and they said well why would you do that so I think you know my life trajectory might have changed in a big way and uh it's it's uh it's something that i reflect on quite a bit actually dawn but i but i i'm very grateful for the 15 years that i put in i ended up uh getting some hearing loss uh severe to moderate hearing loss and and tinnitus as they say in britain or tinnitus ringing of the ears so mm-hmm. so i do have a parting a parting gift of some some hearing aids so i appreciate that but <laughs> um yeah there was definitely some impact there right? so yeah no that's but I tell you, like, there's so much that we would have done in the army. Like, you know, when you're when you're an adventurous fisherman like me and you'll crash through the bush and then just set up a little hoochie and sleep out in the middle of nowhere. And others think, what is wrong with you, man? Well, hey, that's how we did it in the army. So you're kind of used to it, you know? <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, that's great. It brings back a lot of memories. My dad was actually a navigator in the second world war and yeah, it's uh wow. it was yeah. a tough time. But uh, mm-hmm. Anyway, um, so so you graduated from university, and and so did you get into teaching right away?
0: Yeah, actually, uh, funny funny story. I I was because uh, I was a little bit older when I went back to university, so I was always always thinking about the job, right? So I was watching watching teaching postings for the first couple of years I was in school, and I had initially done a, a dual degree. It was a five year program, so probably by year three, I was kind of watching the job market. I noticed that seemed like in the spring there was lots of jobs that came up just you know temporary things a foot in the door if you will and so I when my last year I started applying for them and I made sure that I kind of stacked the deck in my favor so I got a few classes out of the way so all I had left was three classes in my last semester uh, and ones that didn't have finals they were just project-based so I could work hard so I applied for a bunch of jobs and lo and behold I got it all from a pool in Melville Saskatchewan and I actually forgotten I applied for it to tell you the truth it was a uh, advanced Placement Biology, Biology 30 gig, and uh, it was a mat leave cover. And uh, so I went in for the interview, got the job. So I actually started teaching before I, I was convocated or, or or graduated university. So mm. that's, yeah, I got I definitely got in right away. Uh, taught in Melville for, I don't know, it was about six, seven years, something like that. And then uh, during that time, I'd taken my uh, my master's in administration. Um, I was looking to, to just learn more about, about the school system, actually. And then an opportunity came up for me to to take a principalship, so I uh, took that in a small town, t- two years there, and then I was transferred to a a much larger school. They liked what they saw, and I worked hard at uh, Belcaris Community School for four years, and then I, I came back to to the Comp actually in Melville for uh, this will be my third year there as administrator. So yeah, it's been, uh, been a been been a bit of a ride.
1: So I got to ask you, what is your absolute favorite
0: fish to catch? <laughs> You know what? Um, it's the one that's coming next on. And that's that what I mean by that is that's kind of why my, like my YouTube channel being 28 fish, like it's kind of a arbitrary number. And it's always it's the one that I haven't caught yet that I'm thinking about constantly and wanting to catch so badly in that moment. And having all your research and all of your, your time put in and everything else is is absolutely uh, the the fish that's my favorite to catch but of the ones that i have caught that's a great question um i would have to say uh to be honest it's probably um one that's more difficult to to you know get to that kind of a fish like like i i really enjoy catching rough fish like different suckers um just because of the challenge you know uh but i think probably my very favorite fish to catch of all time uh is the common to be honest, I, I just think they're such an underrated fish. They're so strong, they're so plentiful. Like uh, I would imagine, if guys in England knew what was in the Capel River for for weight and mass, um, <laughs> I think they would be they would be upset at the amount of money they spend on private ponds <laughs> over there fishing for big fat carp. But uh, no, I um I think I like the carp too because uh, it gets you into places that uh, you pr- not many people get to. Like you're going into really shallow waters often uh deep into uh different different areas of the capelle for instance uh and so forth but yeah it's hard to hard to pick one i mean every one of them has you know there's a technical aspect to it like catching grayling on the fly in a in a, in a riffle is unbelievable you know a huge 40 pound pike up north and uh, all sorts of sorts of great opportunities but yeah i uh, <laughs> as funny as that sounds i think the common carp would be the answer <laughs>
1: Yeah, they're they're a great fighting fish, and uh, you know my friend Rob Schultz at G&S Marina in Last Mountain Lake, he uh, he does a great job on carp, and um, I actually did a show with him, a couple of shows with him on on carp, and wow, it's a lot of fun. But I got to admit, my probably favorite Manitoba fish is freshwater drum.
0: Oh yes, yeah, yeah. My son, is
1: so hard my, and they're plentiful.
0: Oh yeah, they're they're yeah, they're an amazing fish. I wish. I've heard tale that that we get in one small corner of Saskatchewan they actually make their way through the Red Deer River system to the Red Deer Lake into to Saskatchewan in high high water times. But uh, yeah, it's definitely Manitoba fish, and we uh we we caught them for the first time. I took my son up to the Fairford River there, yeah, and just on a whim one day we just said let's go and jumped in the car and we just absolutely had a smash fest. It was so much fun, and yeah, they fight so well. Um, we tried eating them a little bit greasy for us, but. Yeah. I think um yeah, you guys got something special.
1: Yeah, you gotta the way you yeah, with freshwater drum, you gotta take all the dark meat out off, off the middle along the lateral line and stuff. You gotta be <laughs> a little careful how you prepare them. But uh anyway, let's talk about what the future holds. What's the plans? What do you what do you got
0: in the works, Mike? Yeah, well, <laughs> I, uh, I'm a guy who has an endless amount of creative ideas, but a limited amount of time, Don. So (laughs) there's always (laughs) so, so much on the go. I, uh, I I just, that just, you know, brings, uh, brings joy to my, to my life. So yeah, I have a a number of things that I'm I'm looking for in the short term here. I got a number of videos kind of in queue with my YouTube. I have kind of set aside and so forth over the summer because we're focusing on, uh, catching up on, uh, I won't say a huddy do, do list. I'd say a Mikey do list because we've been fishing hard for about eight years, and we've put off a lot of work, like painting barns and and all that kind of stuff, fixing fixing that. So we spent a lot of summer doing that. So yeah, I got some videos going. Um, one that I'm lo- really looking forward to is uh, I'm always tweaking my my flip over shack and um, kind of don't like using the propane heat because it's kind of uh, wet, you know. So I, I, I I'm trying real hard to to get the diesel heater to be uh not so finicky. They they were great, but if you get kind of backdraft on them or uh any kind of, you know, ice or water buildup, up, it, yeah, I find that they they uh kind of end your fishing trip pretty quick. So when I'm trying to uh utilize a, a vent that I found it's actually meant for for boats to go through the side of the shack and uh, dissipates the heat enough that it's not going to melt it down hoping that it works and I don't melt my shack and uh, that I can, I can share that with the YouTube world. Uh, definitely looking to grow uh, the angling in the schools, the ATS program. And uh, yeah, looking at, looking at some, you know, new species that I'm, that I'm really looking at. Um, the only one I have left to catch in Saskatchewan is the buffalo. Um, they're a little bit tricky to get onto in, in the province just because they're so uh, they're not endangered, but they're, uh, they're threatened as a species, just because of some, damming and and overfishing in the in the 50s and 60s on that uh um but yeah things like uh chain pickerel uh bowfin uh bull trout which sniffed my hook in alberta but didn't want to bite uh, salmon oh okay yeah so salmon kokanee salmon i was gonna ask you dawn here's a question for you what is your best worst fishing trip well wow. mine well i'll tell you what Mine is driving 3,200 kilometers round trip to get skunked on kokanee salmon in the wintertime <laughs> when we should have, yeah, should have been honest. I, I, I remember <laughs> you
1: actually, gonna, you said to me, you know, Don, can I write about this story? And I, I and then you came back and said, no, it's so no right about.
0: It. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it happens. It happens. Yeah, yeah it
1: does. I remember yeah. the TV back in the day was expensive. I didn't own the mm. equipment, not like today. And uh, mm-hmm. it's about a thousand dollars a day by the time you got your beta SP camera and your cameraman,
0: uh-huh. it's
1: Lake of the woods. And I had, we had fished for 12 hours and I hadn't caught a fish on Lake of the woods. If you can believe it,
0: <laughs> Yeah, I can believe it.
1: <laughs> so anyway, I yeah. went into this back yeah. bay and I decided, well, let's, I was trying to catch smallmouth. So I said, well, let's switch tactics. And so I thought I'd go in and, and catch them, um, uh, pike or something shallow water. So we went in this bay with good cabbage weeds, green cabbage weeds. Well, we ended up mm-hmm. uh, catching largemouth bass and and crappie. So it ended up to being a very good show on a fly rod. So awesome. we got yeah. in two hours. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I was actually thinking about that when you know when I had my my uh, humble little youtube you know video you're trying to put something together and, and kind of get skunked or you don't know, got a lot of footage and i thought boy i wonder what it'd be like to do this with a, with the pressure of an actual tv show it must be pretty tricky <laughs> so yeah well yeah luck, just, lucky those days were far and few between there you go absolutely that makes you makes that's what makes it efficient Yeah, and you know the only thing I would I would say is uh, I was really I'm really excited about um, developing a few angling products that uh, like I said I'm a tinkerer and I uh, there's a a few additional pieces that I like putting on my flip over shack Uh, things like you know uh, a foldable rod holder on the side of the shack instead of fumbling with equipment and all that and. Um, so I'm kind of looking at, there's a couple others that I don't really want to mention the names, but they would, they're definitely have to do with, uh, fishing with uh, underwater camera and it'd be a bit of a game changer if they, if they did work, uh, to get it into market and, uh, I've used and they sure, sure improve the, the fishability, I guess, of, of underwater cameras. So I'm hoping to put some time into that this winter and, uh, and get something together and, uh, yeah, hopefully get, get some connections in the, uh, in the, uh, angling world to, to get those things to market and, uh, help other fishermen. So yeah, no end, no end to, to, uh, projects for this guy, Don. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, Mike, I really want to thank you for coming on the show and, uh, all the, all the great uh, content you're sharing where the readers are hooked and, uh, appreciate you, uh, good luck in all your future
0: endeavors. Well, thank you, Don. And I, I appreciate being part of the team and, uh, I sure appreciate what you've done for angling over the years. It's, uh, it's very commendable. All right. Well, thanks, Mike. Take care, and uh, we'll be talking soon. Absolutely. Thanks for tuning in. Visit hookedmagazine.com to subscribe to The Complete Angler and never miss an episode.